first off, like just do your research on what it is. And basically it's that the, the person you're buying it from holds the mortgage. So they become the bank and you pay them a mortgage every month. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Have you ever thought about making some quick money and becoming potentially a wholesaler? Well, that's what Waylon McGill, my guest today, has been able to do while still working a full-time job. And funny enough, I actually knew Waylon back in Xerox days. One of my first jobs was working at Xerox in sales, and we worked together and on the same team, so we didn't know each other that well. But uh, it is cool how you know people come back around in different capacities, and now we are real estate uh, investors friends and uh, reconnected that way. So his story is really awesome. He is a great salesperson, of course, but we talk about wholesaling and uh, how you can do really well and make some great profits, great money by using this strategy. I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget, if you enjoy these podcasts, please leave a rating and a review and let me know if you have any questions. Don't forget to email me or check out my website, sarahlarby.com or email me at sarah at sarahlarby.com. And let's bring in Waylon. Waylon, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Like, listen to this podcast when I start out it was a big part of how I got started in real estate. So it's pretty cool to like be on now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you've been so successful in, in what you've been doing. But for the listeners, I, I just wanted to also mention that you and I, in a way, we haven't, you know, there was a big gap where we didn't really know each other, but we originally first met when we were both working at Xerox and there's uh, I was like straight out of university it was my first job my first sales job and that's and that's actually how we originally met and then I don't know how many years ago that was like 15 or back in 08 09 maybe I, yeah, I think 08 or yeah it was one of those 08 or 09 yeah yeah because I remember when I was starting it was like everything was like all the crap was happening right in the U.S. and things like that and then we started getting some customers that were like worried about the recession. So that was, uh, it was, it was definitely quite interesting. And uh, so, I mean, you've come a long way since then and you know, it's, it's great to see your, your success, but maybe you can give us a little bit of a background on how you got started in real estate investing and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I will say that that time at Xerox was incredibly challenging. Like you said, 2008, like starting selling like the worst recession of our lifetime. Like, like a lot of that skill development and like dealing with difficult times is like coming valuable in career and uh, real estate. But I got started. So I really didn't think about real estate probably until like mid 2019, just like a little, I guess that's a little under two years ago, uh, which is kind of crazy. So basically I talked to a friend, he bought a couple properties. I knew like he had a good job, but it wasn't like, he wasn't like an investment banker. And I was like, how did you do this? And I started looking into it. I started listening to podcasts. Um, to be honest, I think yours was the first Canadian podcast that I, that I started listening to. And the name was familiar. I couldn't figure it out for the longest time until I saw your LinkedIn. Um, but I just was listening to podcasts. I, I went to some right club events. Actually, that was kind of like my getting started and like going and starting to meet other investors. And I just think that I like listen to way more than everybody else pretty much, you know, like I listen to a podcast, maybe two every single day for like the first six months. Nice. So it's almost like you feel like, you know, all these other investors, but it's like, oh, I've never actually met this person. I just listen to <laughs> podcasts, right? It's a little creepy. Uh, but that's like kind of how I got started. And then we got a triplex 
it was uh um it's got a boarding house in it so it's kind of like a property that was on the mls like you can get good deals on the mls it's just like the cash flow is like two thousand dollars a month but people are scared off by it's a weird kind of property right there's two regular units and then uh, a boarding house and uh, we got that and then we did a duplex conversion next which was with uh, uh contract i met actually at uh, right club event you know power of networking um and at that point we, we got a good refi, we ended up buying a cottage with that. And then it was like, I had no money left. And then, so my strategy sort of changed to like cash flow real estate strategies. So you, I mean, you haven't been doing that for, for more than two years. Like, and, and you've already got, so you've got a triplex, you've got a cottage that you're Airbnb and I, I do want to talk about that. And then your wholesaling piece that you, you decided, Hey, I need cash has, has really taken off as well. So let, let's talk about, before we get into the wholesaling thing, you know, let's, let's talk about the cottage. Uh, you know, that's probably my favorite investment as well. Maybe share with us maybe some of the numbers and, uh, you know, if you were to do it again, you know, other Less. differences, lessons that you've learned along the way. Yeah. So we do some things differently for sure. So first off, like, um, we closed on the cottage, I think June 15th. So I, it was early, like, we knew a cottage was our next thing. That's what we wanted. We wanted the lifestyle sort of piece as well. It wasn't a purely financial decision. Um, but we were looking probably starting in January. And I basically put myself on a drip got on a drip campaign. And I looked at every cottage for about a $600,000 price range that came out every single day, every morning. It was like the first thing I did. So I had a pretty good idea of like what, what we wanted. Um, we closed on that in the middle of June. And we had it live by like, I think July 1st or like, something like that. This, right? is, so this was 2020 that, we're talking about, right? At 2020, right? So this is when like COVID's like full, there's lockdowns. And I was just like, we need to get a cottage and it has to be fully furnished. And it's got to look nice as is basically because this summer is going to be ridiculous for rentals because everybody had to cancel the big expensive trips, go to the Caribbean, go to Europe and stuff like that. They're not going to think twice about overpaying for a cottage. And they did it. So I think, um, you know, we did overall over 35 we had over thirty-five thousand dollars in bookings for july and august like we we didn't take end up taking them all like some we some we ended up using ourselves but like and that would have been higher right like when we started taking the bookings they just kept coming in so fast as soon as we went live that i kept raising the price to see like are people willing to pay this in august so so do you I mind think, if i ask what price range you're at per night for high season now so for high season last year we so we forced people you have to book like we made it so it booked every night so you can only check in and check out friday and monday mm -hmm. and someone's if someone's checking out someone's checking in the same day so you get full occupancy if you did the weekend we charge 1100 a night but you're going to end up having to pay for sunday night too so it's friday saturday night sunday night 3300 dollars so that, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. And do you mind if I ask like how much your cottage was to acquire? And then if you put any money into it, is that, is that something you're willing yeah. to share? Totally. Uh, $727,500 we closed. Uh, I think we spent maybe 10 or $15,000 uh, in like decor and stuff like that. Games, water sports type stuff, like for people to, to hang out on. So that like when you come, everything you need to have a great time is already there. And, and you bought it before everything just went crazy. So you, I mean, I'm just going to guess that your cottage likely went up like 200 grand since you purchased it. I hope so. And it's one of those things where you're like, I, that's great, but I kind of wish it didn't because I'd like to buy a few more around that Me price too. point. 
possible now. No, absolutely. So, I mean, and, and it's a, uh, it's a great way to enjoy your lifestyle and then, you know, get something to, to pay for that lifestyle uh, or people renters to pay for that lifestyle along the way. If like I, like you, if I could buy more right now, I'm, I'm actively looking, I'm, I'm actively looking for waterfront land and, you know, I'll build my own, <laughs> but they're, they're hard to come across right now. Everybody and their friend decided to, you know, go cottage shopping the last little while. So, but uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a great way to, you know, diversify um, in terms of financing, you know, how did you get the financing? Cause I, I know a lot of banks don't like Airbnb rental. Did you do it as a second, second property or did you do it as yeah, a regular rental? property so we didn't go into the detail that that's what we use it for and it's like on the course of the year like if we really want to push it we probably could have it rented out 75 percent of the time all year but that's not necessarily what we're doing um but yeah so we basically just got like standard financing for that that anybody could get um we are getting to the point where we do you know more creative financing and stuff like that when we're doing deals uh, even like if you have great incomes it just gets hard to qualify for stuff yeah. Um, there's lots of strategies you can use, you know, if your property is leased to a corporation, you know, you've got some revenue associated with that property. You can reduce the impact it has on your, on your picture from a mortgage qualification standpoint. But so far, yeah, it's been a lender for that stuff. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit and uh, go to what you're currently really focusing on now is the whole wholesaling piece of, uh, of the real estate investing business. And, uh, and just curious how you got started and, uh, and maybe talk to us about your first wholesale deal that you did. Yeah. So the way I got into it was I bought a deal off a wholesaler and I paid them very well. And I thought I should really be the one making that fee, you know, like why, why can't I be the guy who makes that fee? Uh, and so I just started basically doing the same thing. What I do when I try to learn anything is I just, I try to absorb more material than everybody else. So I'm just going to listen to everything I can get my hands on. I'm going to read everything I can get my hands on. I'm really going to obsess about it. I think that's one of the great things from Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, great book talking about if you want something, you got to obsess about it. It can't just be like, I'm kind of trying to do this, like, like somebody who's obsessed is going to mop the floor with you. So I just became obsessed with learning everything I could about it. Um, It turned out that like, it really fit in my background better. Like my background is is sales and leadership and wholesaling is about selling, right? Whether you're talking to someone and trying to, to get them to agree to sell you their house in a mutually beneficial sort of deal. And then you're selling that again to another investor. So you're kind of like selling on both sides. Uh, and I realized like, this is the only thing in real estate that I actually have a competitive edge over other people. Like, I don't know a bunch about renovations. I don't know a bunch about uh, houses, markets, not a real estate agent. So I don't have any of these other things to, to rely on. And as a result, uh, I was like, it's tough to be great if you don't have an edge, right? And so I, once I realized like what I'm good at is what this job requires, that's when I decided like, okay, I need to double down or like triple 10x down on this thing. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing 
The world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have different plans, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. All right. Awesome. So so walk us through the first wholesale deal that you did. And, and so how did you find it? And, uh, and walk us through that process. Yeah. So my first deal, um, I sent out, I don't know, like five, $6,000 worth of letters. Um, how, many, how many letters is five or $6,000 worth? Like 30,000. Okay. Something like that. And I got nothing, you know, uh, <laughs> And then it was like a month later, I was out walking back from a, like me and my wife were on a date and we were walking home. I got a phone call and it didn't seem like an opportunity. The person was like, no, my house is like pretty nice. It's not really, you know, it doesn't really need a whole lot of work and I'm not really in a particular hurry to move or anything. You're like, okay, this doesn't really sound like a deal, you know? Uh, but I decided, I was like, you know what? Like, let me give you a call tomorrow. We set something up. And the more I talked to the person, we started talking about like life goals and things like that. And travel turned out to be one of their life goals. And, you know, I talked about great travel I've done. I've done a lot myself. And over the course of the conversation, things started tilting, you know, a little bit. And we started saying things like, you know, like I could do this if I didn't have this house, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so, you know, it took a few more phone calls. It didn't just happen right away. But then I got a text message kind of out of nowhere. It was just like, okay, let's do this. And, uh, I drove down, 
Uh, it was kind of funny. He had, he's like, can my friend be here like to help me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I'm not trying to hide anything here. And it turned out to be a paralegal. Uh, and she schooled me on my paperwork. Like I didn't really know it. <laughs> all, that, all that research, it was like, I was researching how to get the deal, not how to execute it. Right. And I was like, well, I don't have a month to listen to podcasts here. So I just going to go down and and so she was actually really nice and she kind of schooled me on the paperwork. So cool. um, I did a lot, but we got it signed up. And then when I sent it out to other investors, like within 24 hours, it was snapped up like as a firm. I think, well, 20 minutes later, I got a message saying, I want it. We're going to go firm. And I was like, okay, sweet, done. Nice. That's awesome. So I don't need to know exactly. And I don't think, you know, you'd necessarily need to share this, but fees from a wholesaler's perspective are, are awesome. Right. But I think the, the important part is, is who cares what you make as long as there is still meat on the bone for the, the buyer who's going to buy from you. So if you make a hundred grand or you make five or you make 150, as long as there is still opportunity for that investor that might be flipping or burring or whatever it is that they want to do, as long as there is still some meat on the bone, that's going to be the important piece. However, with that said, you know, are you able to share a range from, you know, whether it's you or other wholesalers of, of what, you know, what typical range might look like from, from a wholesaler fee perspective? So like, like anything else, there's outliers. And so I've heard some insane fees. Um, but I think, you know, talking to most people, the average fee is around $20,000. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can do a lot of those deals in a year, like if you could do a hundred deals at $20,000, that's $2 million. Yep. Right. Like you're not going to be able to do that by yourself. You're going to need a team and systems and all sorts of stuff to do that. But like, it's a, it's a pretty good model. Like $20,000 from what I hear is pretty typical. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and some of them are going to take longer than others. Some of them might be quick. What's the average time from, you know, um, somebody contacting you from one of the mailers originally to actually getting a, a check in hand? Like what does that time frame look like? So it really varies because like you kind of, when you're learning about it, you kind of think you're going to get these like calls and like people's hairs on fire and like, they're like I need to sell my house yesterday and you know, can be closed in, in 10 days. But like, I haven't been doing this for a super long time, but I've noticed already just in the winter, it's like people are like out April, May, June, like, because even though there's a situation that they want to take care of, it's not dire and they don't want to move in the middle of winter. So um, I think when I talk to other wholesalers, for them, it sounds like deals tend to happen pretty quickly. Um, but I think if, if that's the case, if your deals are all like people you talk to within that first you know week or so, then you're probably not following up enough because there's going to be gold in those people you talked to months ago, right? Like I texted a guy um, who I got through a Kijiji lead, which is like, you know, a deal, a lead source. It's very tough to, to make work. But it was like, I talked to this guy a few months ago. He, he decided to sell to like one of his friend's children. And then I just texted him. I was like, you know, hey, how's it going? Uh, how did your sale go? And he's like, it didn't. And I was like, oh, what happened? He's like, well, it was my friend's kid and he couldn't get financing. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, I'm still interested in buying your house. And within 20 minutes, I had a signed purchase contract. We didn't even talk on the phone. Like we talked on the phone a bunch of times before. There was enough trust there that basically it was like, you know, 15 minutes of texting and I sent over a contract and we got it signed. And I think we, again, sold that one within 24 hours. We tried, like you said, like we try to sell deals such that there's enough on there for the investor that 
it shouldn't take long for this thing to go. Like we, we could spend more time and we could try to push that price and get more. And we could absolutely. Um, it's a bunch of extra work. Um, we want a reputation as someone where you're like, typically if you buy a deal from us, like obviously you could screw up a good deal, like in so many different ways, right? Bad contractor, your financing is just ridiculous. You know what I mean? So there's other ways, but we don't want to be the reason that a deal didn't work. We want to have a reputation as someone that like you can do well by buying our deals. And I think most of our deals now, like that buyer is emerging in the first, you know, few hours typically. And we're not even showing most of the properties. Like we do really good job with the photos and videos. And, um, you know, typically people are pretty comfortable going sight unseen. All right. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting because oftentimes somebody that's trying to get into the wholesaling industry, do they get buyers first? Do they get a deal first? How was it for you? And what do you recommend? Like, should people be doing both at the same time? Or, you know, if they have a good deal, are there places that they can post and, and pretty much have buyers ready to go? Yeah. So here's what I'll say. Like there are Facebook groups you can get on now to have access to buyers. But what we found is that very rarely is our buyer someone from Facebook. It's usually from someone on our list. So I would say like start building a list immediately. Right. Um, there are lots of ways you can do it, but like one of them is obviously just like kind of putting your name out there, like contacting people who are, who are active in the community to add them to your buyers list. But if you find a great deal, like, it's not a terrible idea. And I know, you know, one of the top wholesalers, he's more of a flipper, but he's one of the top guys out there. And for his first couple of deals, he just got the deals under contract, contacted an actual wholesaler and then split the fee with them. Right. Like if someone brings us a deal, we know it's a deal. We'll market it. We'll advertise it. And like handling that whole process can be a pain. Right. Especially if you don't have a team, if you're just one individual, like my first few deals were a lot more man hours went into them. Um, find somebody else like you're developing proof of concept that you can even find deals. Like I wouldn't spend a ton of time building a buyer's list only to find out like I'm not actually getting deals. It's not just like you send out flyers and then deals happen. Like mm -hmm. you're going to be typically in competitive situations with other wholesalers and you're going to have to do a better job than them to win the deal. So if you can't do that, I wouldn't spend three months building a buyer's list. Like go find a deal. Someone will pay you for that deal. Like I would give someone 50%, like you bring a deal, like we'll, we'll sell it. We'll get a much higher price than you could. We'll give you 50%. Use that to double down on your marketing and start building your buyers list more aggressively at that point. Yeah. And, and it sounds like you, you're going to take that deal and you're going to do the marketing and you're going to do all the, the, you know, work, whether it's you or, or your team or whatnot. So to split 50% to get it, you know, done for you, at least for the first one, I think that's a great opportunity for somebody to learn along the way and, and uh, you know, ensure that it, it sells. When, when you're putting these, these contracts together, I'm assuming it's an agreement of purchase and sale blank, you know, are you putting any clauses that allows you to potentially back out if needed? So yes, but like, I'll say this, we've never backed out and I would like to continue that. I'd like to be in a position like if you, here's the thing, if you're dealing with somebody who's actually in a difficult situation where they're actually on a timeline to resolve an issue, you should absolutely not lock that up with a contract and remove that person's flexibility unless you're hundred percent prepared to close on it yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. If anybody's doing that to me, what you're doing is unethical, right? Because now they're two weeks later, you've given up your condition because you couldn't sell it. And they're two weeks into a four week, like needing a solution. You've really restricted their options. So we put stuff in, like we put basically, I think the easiest is just put in like a partner approval, like subject to partner approval. Um, Typically recently, we've just been going firm even before, like in some case, we're just like, you know what, like who cares? Like, let's just put firm because 
we're going to buy this house if they mm -hmm. if the buyers don't want it we'll take it yeah. right and i think if you go into wholesaling without that mindset it's like you might make some money and stuff but like um i wouldn't really feel good about what i was doing if, if that's what you're doing because you're putting all the risk on them for you to have upside at some profit i just don't think that's right and now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors I want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors on this week's episode. I wanted to introduce you to Rob and Joel from White's Elm Design Build. And Rob and Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that they offer their clients and they focus on Oakville to Hamilton and beyond, but they're really great. Like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to FaceTime or video call Rob or Joel, they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations. Because if you're thinking about doing a flip or a burr project, the reno part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's going to cost and what renos are going to be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly. They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher end flip types of projects too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. That is white elmdesignbuild.com or you can send them an email joel j-o-e-l at whiteelmdesignbuild.com or rob at whiteelmdesignbuild.com good luck on your next projects now back to the show yeah and i mean i think it also goes to talk about your you're clearly getting these deals under market and under value so you know, if a deal is really a deal, likely it's going to be easier than if you're at market and you're trying to, you know, promote something on market that's at market, you know, at market rate. And I'm seeing a lot of that. Like there's some really good investors out there. I mean, Will, you're one of them for sure. And then there's a lot of wholesalers that are sending things. And I'm like, this is like actually probably overpriced from what I would even want to consider buying on the actual MLS. So there's, there's definitely, you know, from an, an outside investor, some due diligence that you, you still need to do to make sure that these numbers are actually uh, as, as wholesalers say, because many of them are, are not, in my opinion. So what are some of the things that you do to ensure that, you know, these deals are are value added deals that somebody is going to say, I'm going to make money off of this. And you know, this is below market. Yeah. So like, we're going to get the comps 
for every property from a realtor, like whatever market we're in, we partner with different realtors to get access to that information. We try to get an opinion from value as well. Like, what do you think it's worth as is, you know, and then we look at the ARV comps and we're like, typically the ARV comps are also, they're not like beautifully trendy flipped properties either. So you're like, okay, so somebody who knows what they're doing can push that upside for sure. So we don't get anything under contract unless we think there's a significant spread. It's just like, it's just going to create a bunch of extra work. And like me and my partner, we both have other jobs. Um, and he's not going to, and like next, I guess Friday, I think his last day, which is awesome. Um, but we, we don't want to waste time and we don't want to send out a deal and get a reputation as sending out deals that aren't good. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think at the end of the day, do your due diligence as a buyer, do not buy a wholesale deal relying on what the wholesale, like what they told you, the ARV and comps were like, like naturally they're going to kind of cherry pick, right? Comps will be all over the place. Like what is the fair market value of the property? Right. Like I'm sure you bought and sold a bunch of properties and like sometimes your realtor's like, Oh, we got more than to that than I expected, or we're not getting as much for it as I expected. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, what is the actual number? And if the spread is like only, they're only offering an 8% discount off like the fair market value. It's like, well, isn't that just probably still in the range of being fair market value? So I think one thing as I'd say to buyers, like don't fall into this trap of thinking that like, because it's a wholesale deal, it's a good deal. Like have realtors that will give you comps for the properties, but like do your work, like use house Sigma in your markets, know what stuff is selling for, or at least listed for. So you can tell the ballpark. And then for a deal that kind of fits what you're doing, get a realtor who can send you comps really quickly uh, and base it off that. Don't trust the wholesalers numbers, like use it as a guide, but make sure like trust but verify. Yeah, absolutely. And I will add, and I'm glad that you mentioned the realtor comps. If you have a realtor that is reluctant or will not help you, I would say you, you need to get a better realtor that's going to be on your team and see the bigger picture because yes, they're not going to make their commissions off of a wholesale deal per se. However, you know, hopefully that they see the, the bigger picture where you're not just going to be buying one house and then that's it. You're going to likely buy more. So, you know, my realtors are, are awesome. I mean, they do that for me. If I say, Hey, can you, can you get me some comps and whether or not they're, you know, making current commission on this particular one, because it's a long-term relationship. And in return, I'm going to make sure that they get taken care of. Uh, on, on other, you know, future deals. So I, I think that's, you know, that's going to be an, an important piece. Um, so can I ask you just to change a little bit of, of the discussion? Why would somebody want to sell to a wholesaler versus trying to get on the MLS with a realtor? Yeah. So there's multiple reasons that people do it. A lot of the time it's like, it's a, it's a house that like is in distress, right? Like I would say more than half of the properties we're buying are people who are middle of a renovation and they just can't complete it for whatever reason they massively underestimated it so it's like a house that's kind of like in rough condition and people don't necessarily one it's they don't necessarily do terribly well on the mls like right now like everything probably is doing pretty well in the mls but it's not always the case that if you have an ugly house it's going to do really well and they don't want to have people coming into their house and seeing that right the neighbors open houses all this stuff so on the one hand, it's stuff like that. Sometimes it's bad experiences with, with realtors in the past, like any other profession, there's good, bad, and, you know, everywhere in between. So um, those are some reason. It's generally speaking, you're trading equity for speed and convenience, right? Like we, I recently bought a house from a guy, he's a CEO and, and he's very busy and he, his time's extremely valuable. And he's like, if you can just give me this price, then like, 
let's just do it. And it's easy. And I was like, you know, typically my instinct is I want to negotiate everything because like that's selling. But um, if someone says that and it's a reasonable thing, I'm not going to try to beat them up. I was just like, I think we can make a deal work at that price. We'll do it. So it's trade. It's really a trade off between equity is not their prime concern. It might be they need something quickly. It might be the terms. They need a specific date. They bought a house somewhere else. They need their house sold by this date. Um, which is all sorts of reasons, but usually it comes down to that trading time uh, or convenience for equity. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, the, the other question I would have, so let's just say you have a deal under contract and you're going to send this to your, your buyer's list. You know, let's just say there's a few thousand or a few hundred or whatnot, and you've get, you get a lot of replies. Are there certain people, you know, what, maybe walk us through the process, like how it usually gets done. Is it one showing? And then you kind of hand select some of the ones that you think are more serious, but like, what, what is your criteria to figure out who's going to be, you know, the best buyer that's actually going to close on this property? How does that work for you? Yeah. So that's really important because like our intention is, is basically to close on every property we, we get under contract. And so our biggest concern is that we will assign to somebody who doesn't close. So we vet really hard up front to make sure even before a viewing, like I learned this, like I did a viewing once and it was like, I, ha I gave it to five people and I vetted and I said, are you 99% sure you're going to be making an offer? Five people came, nobody made an offer. And then I sold it at list price sight unseen to somebody the same day. And I was just like, what? Like it, it is the pictures, you know, like it looks like the pictures. What is it that was different? So I'm like, we need to start pushing back more. And so some things like finding out, can you show proof of funds before we'll even book a viewing? Can you like, do you have a history of real estate investing? Do you own a bunch of properties? Like, so we just kind of ask these questions. Like, is this a serious investor or is this a new investor? And it's not that we won't work with a new investor necessarily, but we're going to ask for a bigger non-refundable fee upfront, knowing that there's more risk happening and that if it comes down to it, we might need to close on the property ourselves with like three days notice. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, we, we look at a lot of stuff like that. You can like help us feel more secure that you're going to close by actually having a bank account with the amount of money in it that you require at least enough for 20% down plus whatever the fee is. Do you have a relationship with a private lender? You know, there's, there, there, I'm sure there's tons of private lenders out there that, but like, there's a handful of people that are fairly well known, like have a relationship with one of those people be able to like say, I've got an email from this person and they said, I'll give you 100% financing or 80%, whatever it is, for up to this amount. Show us things that prove that you can do this um, and commit that like, look, do you have any concerns about this property in advance? This is more of a typical wholesaler. It's like, do you have any concerns about this property? What could you see here that, that might make you say it's not the deal for you so that we could tell you in advance? Because sellers are number one, right? For us, everything has to be done for the seller. So I don't want to do two showings, like I'm not going to, right? So I need to make sure that the people coming are the most serious buyers so that we are not inconveniencing our sellers by asking them to come back to their house a second time. They're mm -hmm. trading equity for speed and convenience. That's not convenient, right? So um, just show you're serious, have those things done in advance so that when you make an offer, you're able to stand behind it or when you're saying, I want to go see that. Also, if you say you're going to make an offer and you wanted to come to another house and you didn't, I will not, I will not have you in another house. I just won't. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that makes sense, right? Like, like you said, you've got to do what's best for the seller and make it as easy as possible. Essentially they trusted you to get their, their place sold. And so, but yeah, no pictures are, are extremely important. Are, are there other like do not do 
from an investor standpoint, working with a wholesaler, like what are other things, you know, do you hate when investors do other than not showing up? But are there any other things that you can think of? Hate's a strong word, but like, I guess like sometimes people kind of come into it with an attitude for whatever reason. Um, and I don't really, I don't really understand that frequently realtors actually do that. To be honest with you, that's like, we get that sort of attitude. It's like the wholesaler has what you want, like act accordingly right? This is not a, the customer is always right situation. This is the seller is right. Just like when we're trying to buy a house, that our client is the seller. And so we're going to do everything we can for them. If you want a deal, that's actually a great deal. So do 10 other people. So why should I choose you? Which means like, just be nice, be pleasant. Like, don't lie to us. Don't tell us, like, don't like pump yourself up in ways that aren't true. Right. Or don't come in like demanding a bunch of answers to questions um, is just like, I don't have to deal with you. So like, just like, it's just like anything, like if you're really good at what you do, you can kind of choose your customers. So be the kind of customer that someone would want to choose. Like you can absolutely ask questions. You should actually absolutely do your due diligence and be like, it's okay to bring up like, I'm like, I like this deal, but I'm concerned about this comp. Did you guys see that one? Like something like that versus, you know, coming in, like, where did you come up with this ARV? It's like, well, the comps are listed there. Like if you disagree, that's okay but why are you coming in hot? So I would say like, just be the type of person that people want to deal with is the biggest yeah. thing. Okay. Now let's just say, for example, and I don't know what you do in this situation, but I'm curious if there's like five people that are like, yep, I love this deal. Then what happens? Who is there, you know, a bidding war at that point? Is there a priority first come first serve? How would that, how would that all go down? We don't like strictly have a policy. And I've also heard people talk about policies and then I've seen that the policies are not actually how they do it. So I don't want to say we have a policy. We like things to be quick and we like them to be easy. So if, if we've got an offer that's at or a little above asking, uh, even before we've shown it, like sight unseen, we'll probably just take it, you know, like move on. Like, let's just make our lives easier. We don't have like a big team that we need to keep busy with doing all this stuff. So it's like any time that's saved is good. If we have a bunch of people that want it, um, would we send out an email and be like, look, make your best offer? Like maybe like we haven't done that yet. I can say like, we've had multiple people say they want it. And we kind of like, we're like, well, we know this person, we trust this person and it's at or above a little bit above asking. So let's just take it. Um, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe things get more scarce and you're like, you know, instead of doing three or four deals a month, you're doing one or two. And you're like, now we've really got to focus on maximizing profit because you know, we're spending the same on marketing for half as many deals. So I couldn't commit to something long-term, but like quick and easy is kind of, what we like, make it risk-free for us, make it easy for us to say yes. Okay. So let's just say, for example, like I have, you know, there's an investor and they've bought one or two already from you. Like, is there a VIP list or is there something that you're like, next time I get it, I'm just going to send it to you. Or do you just send it to everyone? And then you kind of see from their first come first serve. I mean, I, I guess you could do whatever you want because you're the wholesaler, but you know, <laughs> what is it that you, uh, how do you work that? Yeah. So think like, like you said, like, we're pretty new. Right. And so we don't have like, once we're a couple hundred deals in, like, I think at that point, we're going to have a lot of data to say like, here's what we should do. Um, we do have like, we're, we've got a situation with a deal right now where um, it's a long close and I don't love the idea of sending out a marketing email and having four months before the house closes. Um, so in this case, what we're going to do is there's a buyer that we've been trying to work with that we know is hundred percent legit. And we're just like, they are a realtor. They've got four clients who have been dying to get into a property. They've been losing out in bidding wars. And we're just going to say, we're not going to market it. 
we're going to do one showing for you and your four buyers. And if someone gives us the number that we're looking for, we'll just take it. Could we do better in a month? Like as this woman who owns the house is able to clean the house up and stuff like that, probably. But again, it's quicker and easier. Like let's just do a limited showing for this person. So you can develop a relationship by buying deals and you will get preferential treatment for sure. Okay. All right. Awesome. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the apartment building that you closed on, on hundred percent VTB. So talk to us about that. That sounds like a really cool deal. Yeah. It was a sweet deal. <laughs> so this is, a, <laughs> this is an example of like where we really want to close on everything. So we locked up this, this eightplex uh, in a town just outside of Sudbury. And we had what we thought was a buyer lined up and like nothing was committed. It wasn't like we're hundred percent going to take it, but like, the numbers were very interesting to them and and uh, we didn't push it very hard from a marketing perspective and we didn't hear back basically until the day of that they weren't going to be like it just for whatever reason they, they it wouldn't make sense for them and so i now they're I thought, on your your blacklist of like do not do not sell to <laughs> <laughs> well they're good guys so, so oh, okay. <laughs> but uh it was okay like it, at the end of the day i was kind of like I don't want to let this go, but I've got to call this guy. And I also knew in this case, like this was not someone who needed to sell this building. They had a, a significant portfolio of buildings and like, actually they kept trying to push me to take a duplex or two. And I was just like, nah, what's that aplex going that you mentioned that one time, you know? And I just kept coming back to that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a situation. It wasn't like a distress situation where this guy would be out of luck. And so I basically just called them the day of to tell them they want to like text, right? That's like, I think you could, requires a phone call. And I just kind of like soft put it out there that like the partner that we had for this is backed out. We still love the deal. You know, is there any way we can make this work? I know you've mentioned previously you're familiar with VTBs. And he was like, yeah, I think we could like try to make a VTB work. And like at this point he's committed now. He does want to sell it now, even though he was kind of back now. He's like, yeah, I do actually want to sell this. And there were some foundation issues that we're going to have to take care of uh, now that we've closed on it. Um, but uh, he basically said he was open-minded about it. He asked me what sort of terms I was looking for. I told him I was looking for a hundred percent and wasn't really expecting him to say yes, but he did. And so we worked that out as a hundred percent, 10% uh, interest, 1% lender fee, Overall, you know, we're going to lose maybe $800 a month over the course of the year as we increase the rents and increase the quality of the building to refinance. I'm expecting at the end, we'll get it all out. But I also picked up another duplex from him off that call, which we wholesaled. Uh, and, you know, we made a decent little fee there. So that's going to help take a chunk out of that uh, uh, foundation issue. So it's kind of like a big swing. I went from calling to think we might be getting nothing to wholesaling a duplex and taking down an eightplex with a 100% BTB. <laughs> Nice. That's awesome. Congrats. And, and if, and for those that may not know in terms of VTB, you know, who do you need to get involved in terms of, of expert power team members? So first off, like just do your research on what it is. And basically it's that the, the person you're buying it from holds the mortgage. So they become the bank um, and you pay them a mortgage every month. So it's something that uh, if they have high equity in the property, it can be a pretty good fit. Like if someone owns something outright, they might even not want to get all the profits at one time. It could be beneficial to them to spread that out. If it's not their primary residence to get paid, you know, 10,000 or 20 or $30,000 a year, instead of one lump sum payment for 400,000, where they're going to get capital gains tax on, you know, half of that. Yeah. So essentially you just get your lawyers to, to draft up the paperwork and get the, that stuff organized. 
Yeah, and it's about three thousand bucks because you're going to pay for their lawyer as well. Typically, like that's part of the service you're going to offer. So, um, a good real estate lawyer, both sides, they'll they'll be very familiar with it. It's not it's not super tricky uh, from a paperwork side. They'll take care of it for you. Awesome, awesome. That's that's really cool. Any other deals that you're working on these days? Ooh, yeah. Uh, like for us personally. Um, I think we're going to wholetail. Uh, we sent out like the one property that we didn't get a great response on. Um, and it's, it's a bit trickier, right? Cause it's got a main floor commercial. And obviously with COVID, like people are not like necessarily clamoring to buy commercial properties that aren't convertible. It's like on a main strip in a small town. So, um, we had a, we had a, a viewing lined up and then there was like all these snowstorms and people backed out and we were just like, you know what, like, let's just close on ourselves. Like we've never done a wholetail before, but I think what I've kind of learned is like, just do whatever you think will have, have the highest profit margin, regardless of whether or not you've done it before. Like you just like everything else you've got good at, you got good at by trying it. So we're just going to, you know, take it down, clean it up, like maybe a week, pay some cleaners to go in and, uh, and relist it. So other than that, like it's more later this year is when we're going to try to pivot to more taking down these properties for ourselves, uh, rather than like, you can sell all your wholesale deals and great, you made a bunch of money, but like, once you stop wholesaling, the money stops, just like when you stop working, the, the money stops. So like, if you're not building a portfolio as a wholesaler, you're just, you're great. You're helped a lot of investors build their portfolios, but like in 30 years, they'll be the ones laughing. I mean, wholesaling is, is like a job, right? I mean, you got to hustle. You, it's a sales you know, related job. You've got to keep going in order to, to keep making more money, but it's quick cash, right? So you've got the quick cash strategy and then you've got your longer term nest egg strategy where you're going to be building your wealth, right? Wholesaling is quick cash, not what really wealth building, but then you can start taking some of that money and, and keep building your own portfolio, which is, which is awesome. And, you know, congratulations. I mean, you've done all of this in, in a couple of years. I, I can't even imagine like another two years where you're going to be. So congratulations. Congratulations on everything that you've, uh, you've been doing. So the next part of the podcast, Waylon, is the lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. Every guest gets the same ones, and you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay, I had to sit there. feel the heat. <laughs> All right, let's do it. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at margaret at completepminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. Well, in question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Uh, I would say Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Everybody says Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but uh, I think the obsession element from there, I think mindset-wise, it's the best. All right. Very cool. Question number two, and this doesn't have to be real estate specific, but if you listen to podcasts, do you have a favorite one? Um, I listen to this uh, one called Wholesale Hotline. Um, that if you if you want to wholesale, it's kind of like four hotshot wholesalers just shooting the breeze and like hanging out, and it's kind of like fun. Most real estate podcasts are quite serious, right? And so this is kind of a fun one to listen to. All right, awesome. Question number three: What do you do for fun aside from real estate investing? Before the lockdown, I'm super big on live entertainment. I go to tons of concerts. Uh, I go to you know Just for Last comedy. Uh, every year like i you know i get passes for that so live performances music and comedy all right sounds fun i miss those days <laughs> hopefully by the time this airs things will be you know opened up again <laughs> back, so, back to oh, some normal yeah. all right question number four if you lost all your assets all your money tomorrow how would you start again 
I would start wholesaling 100%. I would, I would start, uh, I would get a line, I would find a way to get like, you know, $10,000. And then I would like start sending out marketing and that's 100% what I would do. All right. And last question, number five, Waylon, if somebody has $50,000, they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend that money and you can take it in any direction you want? Okay, so what I would do, and uh, I got this from uh, Kellen, a uh, pretty well-known investor, basically use a first-time homebuyer credit in combination with a purchase plus improvements mortgage. So at that price, you could get into a decent, you're only putting 5% down, you're going to get some money for your renovations, and when you burr it, you're going to be able to burr it back to 95%. Um, you work with an investor-friendly realtor in order to do that. They are your free coach. You're going to pay, they're going to get paid on the transaction and they're going to be able to coach you. They're going to help you with power team building and all that stuff. So like I'd say, why pay someone for that? Get that from your realtor who's getting a paycheck off what you're doing. That is a really cool concept for somebody starting out. That's, that's really good. Very, very good. Awesome. <laughs> so Waylon, where can the listeners, my listeners reach out if they wanted to find out more about you or, or get to uh, connect with you? Yeah, so you can, uh, on Facebook, Waylon McGill, Instagram, uh, Waylon might be underscore McGill. And then uh, if you're interested in our bot, like, you know, access to our properties, go to www.ontariopropertydeals.ca. You can add yourself there. If you message me, I'll just direct you there. Uh, so easy, just go to the website, add yourself. Uh, and if you message me, like I do my best to respond to people. Very cool. Last question for the podcast that I always ask, any final words of advice? Just get started. And uh, if like, if you're not obsessed about it, like it might not go anywhere, you know, like you really need to learn everything you can. If you're not listening or reading every single day and wondering why you're not like getting to where you want to go, like you're just not doing the work. So like put more into it, obsess about it and do whatever it takes to get there. Well said, Will. And who knew that, you know, 15 years later, we'd cross paths again in this whole real estate world. And uh, thanks so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's such a, such a weird coincidence. And it's uh, been a really uh, fortuitous one for me. Awesome. Take care. Thanks. Bye, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. 
And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.